There is a great rhythm in our readings this morning. Could you hear it? There is a rhythm to God's drumbeat of life. That's what you heard in Genesis 1. You heard how the Lord God spoke, how he said, let there be, and there was, and God saw, and it was good. Did you hear that repetitive drumbeat? That drum sounded again and again and again, that drumbeat with which God called into creation, God called into being things that were not. There is a great rhythm in our readings today, and that rhythm builds. There is a kind of crescendo to the whole creation story, isn't there? Day one, day two, day three, and as it grows, life gets louder and louder and louder until it comes to that wonderful day, six. And then the rhythm kind of breaks. Instead of saying, let there be, God says, let us make. He alters the music of creation just a little bit to draw our attention to the wonderful creation of man, Adam and Eve, male and female, made in his image. Yes, there is a great rhythm to our readings today, and it is the rhythm that Jesus himself restores, the rhythm of life. Our gospel reading is very short by comparison to the Old Testament reading today, isn't it? Jesus' words are very short. He's very brief with this man who's full of grief and full of anguish, who cries out to him from the depths, come down and heal my son. Jesus doesn't say much, but what he says counts. Jesus is a master of economy of words, and preachers have to learn this. I have to learn this, that sometimes saying less is saying more. And so instead of giving a whole long spiel, Jesus says, go, your son will live. Five words in English. And with those five words, the rhythm of life, what Jesus came to do is restored in that man's household. And that rhythm is meant to go out into the whole world. That was always God's intention, right? There are no mistakes in his creation. There is no random chance. There is not some kind of a big bang. Whoops, what a happy coincidence. No, it is all according to his plan. Let there be, and there was, and it was good. What you see in that great account of creation is the Lord of life bringing life into being. And he is not satisfied with just a little bit of life. He is not satisfied even with just a long time of life. He intends life for everything. And so he gives his rhythm of life. And I want you just to notice the intricate beauty of God's creation. I want you to see how he plans and purposely creates everything, how there is this rhythm to creation. It is not purposeless. It is not random chance. It is not meaningless. And Adam and Eve are told, hey, make out of it whatever you will. Those are the kind of things that we come up with, aren't they? When we no longer hear God's rhythm of life, when we no longer hear his intention for life, we suppose that we can make the music out of life, right? And people try this in all kinds of different ways. They try to pursue the quote-unquote good life, whatever that means to them. Some people think it means building up wealth. Some people think it means just living as long as you possibly can. Some people think it means enjoying all kinds of different experiences, right? Make the most of life, seize the day. But the Lord God says, I have a better idea. The Lord God says, my intention is true life, real life. 
And you can see how that was always what he planned. Let there be, he says, and just notice how that is a command. There is a command to creation. God says, let it be, and the whole creation obeys his command. Here is the purpose of creation. Here is the purpose of existence, to hear God's wonderful decrees and to obey them. Imagine if it didn't obey. Let there be light, and the light refused. But that's not how it is, for to refuse that command, to refuse the creative command of God is to cease to be. It is to not exist at all. And so the light obeys, and the darkness obeys, and the trees obey, and the sky obeys, and the seas obey, and the dry land obeys, and the fish obey, and the birds obey, and the creatures obey, and even Adam and Eve obey. And as long as they obey, they exist, and they live, and they move, and they breathe, and they flourish. Yes, there is a purpose to creation. It has a goal. It has a meaning. It even has a moral imperative to it, doesn't it? Let there be, the Lord says. And there was. That rhythm, that drumbeat of command and obedience sounds throughout Genesis 1. And there comes then another beat. The Lord God saw. He commanded, it obeyed, and he saw. He evaluates what he makes, and he says about it all, it is good. The purpose of life is this, to obey the Lord God and to exist in his goodness. He looks out at all that he has made, and he doesn't say, oops, I screwed that one up, or, oh no, that's not quite according to plan. Maybe I can erase it and redo it. No, he looks out and sees all of it is good. And when he comes to the end, he even says, it is very good. But that kind of begs the question, doesn't it? When I say something is good, I don't just mean that it's, um, you know, that it's nice, that it's pleasant. Usually when we say something is good, we mean it is good for something. That's what the word in Hebrew, and that's what the word in the, the story of creation means. God looks at all that he has made and says, this is going somewhere. This is a good thing. Yes, it's morally good. Yes, it's probably more beautiful than even a nice wonderful day like this morning is. But when God says that it is good, he means it's good for a purpose. And you heard what that purpose was when God singled out man and woman. When he singled out of all the other creatures, this particular creature, man. What is creation good for? It is good for Adam and Eve to be in the image and likeness of God. That's how he blesses them. He gives them his image. He stamps on Adam and Eve a little imprint of himself. And so they do, they function like God, don't they? Be fruitful and multiply, says the one who created all things. Become little creators, create with me. Be procreators, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth even as I first filled the earth. And he goes on to give them an even greater command and have dominion just as I have dominion. Do you see how God imprints on Adam and Eve his character? Do you see how he gives them a share in his function, in his purposes? They are to multiply and they are to have dominion. They're to rule over everything. Again, God doesn't say to Adam and Eve, hey guys, I made all of this, now do with it whatever you want. He has a purpose for his creatures. 
He leaves nothing unplanned. He leaves no leaf unturned. Now, certainly, he gives them lots to explore and lots to discover and wonderful things to find along the way. But I want you to notice this and mark it well, that there is a purpose to life. And it's not one that we make up for ourselves. It is given to us as a gift from our Heavenly Father. Suppose Adam and Eve had heard that and said, you know what, God, I'd rather do it my way. All this rhythm of life that you've been drumming into your creation, I don't really like it so much. I think I'm going to take matters into my own hand. Thanks for making me, but I'll take it from here. I've got a better purpose. I've got a better plan. I've got other things to do. I don't want to be in your image, God. I want to be in my own image. You don't have to suppose, do you? That's not a hypothetical question. That's exactly what happened. And when that happened, when Adam and Eve reached out and took the fruit of the tree for themselves, the tree that God said not to eat from, they plunged that rhythm of life into a very different rhythm. Let's stick with that music analogy. They took that rhythm that God had been drumming into his creation and they started distorting it. They started creating in its place a different rhythm, the rhythm of sin. And with it came the rhythm of death. You know that rhythm well, don't you? You know that drumbeat of death, that life comes, but along with it comes corruption and decay and sickness and death. And with those things comes sorrow, comes sadness, come pain, come anguish. That is the music that we hear on a daily basis. That is the music that we hear throughout our life. And it's not a good one. You can hear that in the gospel reading. You can hear how this man came to Jesus full of anguish, full of sadness, with a simple request, but a profound one. Lord, come down. Descend is the Greek word. Come down, O Lord. Now, it could just mean that he lived in the south, right? That's how we talk about it. Come down to the deep south or come down to the mid-south Kentucky. Come down, O Lord. But I want you to hear in that plea a very great and profound prayer. It's our prayer too, isn't it? Come down, O Lord. Come down from heaven and visit us on earth. Out of the depths I cry to thee. Out of the, the sadness of sin, out of the corruption of, of this world, out of the experience of death, O Lord, I plea with you, come down. Now for the man, it was to heal my son. Come down, O Lord, for my son is not just sick with the flu, but come down, for my son is dying. He is near death. Couldn't all of us make that prayer? Wouldn't that be all of our pleas? Whether we are strong and in the, the highest moment of our lives, the healthiest position we are in, or whether we are at life's end or even at life's beginning, we are all in this same situation, aren't we? We no longer hear the rhythm of God's drumbeat of life, but instead we have a living death. We live in death, don't we? From the moment we are born, this sounds very pessimistic, doesn't it? From the moment we are born, we are dying. That's just the way things are. That is the way that creation has gone since it was plunged into sin. And so this man's prayer, his plea, is also ours. Come down, O Lord. And Jesus does. Jesus does, doesn't he? 
He who spoke in the beginning, he who was there with his father and as their spirit brooded over the waters, he speaks again. And what he speaks is not a word of condemnation and judgment. Look, man, you're getting what you deserve. He looks out over all that he has made and he sees it and he says, behold, it's not good. But I have come to bring life. I have come to restore the goodness of creation. That is what you see in the gospel reading so powerfully this morning. In such a brief exchange between Jesus and this man, there is this profound truth and reality that still exists for you. Jesus has come to restore the goodness of creation. That is, to make it good for what God always intended it to be. For life. Real life. So he says to that man, go, your son lives. Five simple English words, five short English words, but in those words is all of our hope and all of our joy. In those words, the music of God's gift of life comes roaring back into this world. Your son lives. And he may as well have said to each and every one of you today, you will live. You will live. You will live. For this is why I have come to look out at my creation and raise it back up, to take what was fallen and restore it, to take what was in decay and bring it back to goodness. The voice of Jesus sounds out in the ears of that man in Capernaum, and it sounds out in your ears today in the reading of his word. Your son will live. And all of a sudden, did you notice, there is the return of that drumbeat. In the beginning, God said, and it was so. When Jesus came, he said, and it was so. And so you heard that while the man was still going home, his servants came to him, and what did they say? Your son lives. Just the same thing that Jesus had said. Let there be light, and it was so. Let there be heaven, and it was so. Let us make man in our image, and it was so. Let your son live, and it was was so. And the man starts to turn it over in his mind. It's as if he can't let that music, that drumbeat of life, exist simply outside of himself in the sound of his servant's words, but he has to take it into himself. So he starts to ponder. He starts to pour over these things in his mind, and he says, when? When did it happen? And they tell him the seventh hour, and he says, that's the very moment that Jesus said to me, your son will live. See how Jesus restores that drumbeat of life into his creation? He takes what was broken down. He takes what was fallen. He takes what was ruined. He takes what no longer had the sound of life in it anymore, and he restores it. Your son will live. Your son lives. That was the moment he said, your son will live. And did you notice that that music doesn't just remain in the mind of the man? But it says this seemingly kind of throwaway sentence at the end of the gospel reading, his whole house became disciples of Jesus. See, when the word of life comes into creation, when the word of life comes into a house, it can't remain just inside of a person. You know how it is, you know, when you get a song stuck in your head? You have to hum it out loud again, right? When you go home from church, you're going to be humming a certain song in your head. And it's not enough to just have it in your head. You want to start saying it out loud. That music of life, that word of life that Jesus spoke long ago, wants to continue to expand. 
And it did in that man's house. And it does in your house, too. For what Jesus said in creation, what Jesus said in his ministry, is now repeated through his spirit in the church and in the lives of his people. When you go home, you carry with you this drumbeat of life. You have the word of life in your ears, and you have the word of life in your heart, and you have that word of life on your tongue. So don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to speak about it with one another. Don't be afraid to hum the tune to yourself and to anyone who will listen to you. For that word of life is meant not just for one or two or a hundred people, But that word of life, that drumbeat of life, is meant to go out into the whole world. That's why Jesus restores his life in you. And he re-stamps on you his image, and he clothes you, like we said last week, in his image. But this week, did you notice the metaphor changed a little bit? We are not simply clothed with a wedding garment, but St. Paul says that you are clothed with armor. You're clothed with armor. Take up the whole armor of God. That doesn't mean the armor simply that he supplies, but it means take up his armor. He entrusts it to you. He clothes you in himself so that you can be his little image again, right? He is the great warrior in heaven, but now he says, I want to have all these little warriors down on earth. And so he clothes you in his armor. And here's where you see what real life is like. There's lots of opinions out there, aren't there, on what counts for the good life, on what we should pursue in life. There's some who simply want to extend life as long as possible, right? We should take any measures that we can possibly take to get another day, another week, another month, another, another year. And it's attractive, isn't it? Because, of course, we want to live as long as possible. But so long as extension of life does not correspond with living in God's image. It is simply extending that living death. That's not what Jesus has come to do. Nor has he come just to give us a deeper appreciation of life, right? Jesus was not a preacher of carpe diem, seize the day, make the most of every minute, although I'm sure that's good and well. But he doesn't simply want you to have the best vacation possible. He doesn't simply want you to enjoy the most pleasures that you can have in this world. He has come to give something far greater, to restore in us the image of God. And so you heard what that image looks like. It looks like men and women who are clothed with a belt of truth, with a breastplate of righteousness, with the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, with the shield of faith, with the helmet of salvation, and with the sword of the Spirit in their hand. That is what life is meant to be. That is what Jesus came to restore to you. That is what he has given to you. And so he has made you into a little army, a little army of warriors, of soldiers who are ready for real life. Take up the truth. Take up the righteousness of God. Put on those shoes of readiness and speak the gospel of peace with one another. Hold up the shield of faith when you experience all the fiery darts of the devil. Put on your, he- on your head the helmet of salvation and carry with you the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. For when you are clothed in these things, when you carry these things into the world, you carry out with you that drumbeat of life. And that drumbeat of life is what will continue to make music not only now, but in the resurrection. 
In the resurrection, what we faintly hear now, what we only hear a distant voice of, will resound in our ears. And then, then we will take up our parts most fully. Then we will sing with gusto. Then we will know the music to the best possible ability that we could have. For then everything, everything will be swallowed up in life. There is a great rhythm in these readings this morning. Can you hear it? Can you hear that drumbeat of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of life, how he drums into you today that same life, forgiving your sins and saying to you, you are my dear children. Go out into the world clothed with my gospel. Go out clothed in the truth, clothed in my righteousness, clothed in peace. Carry that music with you as you go out today and let your household be like the household of that Capernaum official, a household of faith, a household of the music of life in a world that desperately needs to hear that music. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.